This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are You're with the Sleek Geeks for our Sleek Geek podcast, myself and Dr. Carl, but a very special guest uh, with us. In Australia for his show Limbo Land, which is going absolutely gangbusters around the country. Bill Bailey, how are you, Bill? I'm oh, very well, thanks. Yeah. Now you and Carl have actually met, but I have a gorgeous story of when you met in a notional sense before you'd ever physically met. You did a show in Sydney a few years ago, yes. And you're having a bit of a ramble with the audience, and you throw out some concept of you know the speed of light, which of course is anyone know, anyone know. Yeah. Someone answered. How did you know? And they said, Oh, Doctor Carl told me. Yes. You asked another question to the audience later in the night. How did you know they said Dr. Carl Tom? And you freaked out that there was this mesmeric concept of Dr. Carl out yeah. there that just informed people of things. That That's must have right. been a weird experience. It was. It was a very uh, weird experience. It was, and, and it's exactly as you, as you describe. I, was, I think I was talking about um, Heisenberg's uh, uncertainty theory. <laughs> uh, and um, and uh, I was talking because the, the, that particular routine was, um, was about the fact that I was... Uh, uh, trapped in an airport once and uh, in Indonesia and there were two English language books available one of them was Tom Clancy's Patriot Games mm-hmm. and the other one was uh, Stephen Hawking's Brief History of Time and so, <laughs> so um, I, uh, I took these um, two books and as a kind of a, a starting point for my show it was like compare and contrast these styles <laughs> of Clancy and Hawking and uh, so I was sort of de- deconstructing Hawking's book a little bit and sort of saying you know Oh, Hold on a sec. That's a <laughs> I was deconstructing. Somebody phone. Place. Somebody's phone went off in the middle of the show. <laughs> and uh, who was that? Oh, Doctor Carl. And it there literally was no. And um, so I said, was you know, and, and I was you know, sort of, I was saying, well, one of the things that uh, Hawkins says, you know, is that. Um, uh, you know, he talks about um, the fact that uh, you know light, you know, it's it's sort of uh, can can bend. You know, there's a sort of a there's a sort of a, a flexibility mm. to the universe. And I was talking about this, and I was saying about you know, um, uh, you know, how do you how do you measure quantum theorem? You know, how do you measure quantum little little parcels of energy? And I said that you know the smallest amount of light in the universe is actually the uh, glove box light of a 1974 Austin Maxi, right? And then I was talking about Heisenberg and somebody said, and then somebody came up with the whole theory and I said, well, how did you know that? And there was a long pause and then somebody just went, Dr. Carl told me. And then I said, all right. And then I asked, exactly as he said, I asked another question, another long pause, Dr. Carl. Dr. Carl. And I said, who is this Dr. Carl? And I said, is there like this some sort of eminence, this kind of, this, this strange, like, you know, uh, this, 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 this creature, this sort of, you know, this, this, uh, uh, I had this in, in image of you as, as living on an island somewhere, um, <laughs> where, and, and people, uh, people <laughs> come and you dispense wisdom. Is that is that near the truth, or is that? No, no. mainly I do talkback radio, and oh, people right. ask people ask questions, and there's no saying in science. It's not the answer that gets you the Nobel Prize. It's the question. Oh. And so one very deep one I'm still pondering is, with regard to phantom pain. Oh yeah. Do spiders? feel phantom pain if they lose a leg? Oh, Ooh, I, know. I know. I mean, the whole central intelligence versus distributed... Oh, look, I'm Because your, fa- your phantom pain is when someone has lost a limb or a body part and they still have a sensation of pain in that area, even yeah. though that clearly doesn't exist anymore, and why are they still sensing that? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And the th- the part of the reason for that is that the brain is... Um, well, firstly, we, we humans are born two years prematurely in mm. a rather bloody event where the brain is all full of blood, and if that happened to an adult, they'd be 
incapacitated no. for life. Mm. And then your brain basically is uh, prejudiced by your late teens. And your, your senses are not as though they're openings into the outside world where mm. smell and light and other sensations come in, mm. but rather they're fact checkers. I am prejudiced that that is a table. Just the merest glimpse is a table. Yeah. So phantom pain fits in that same category where you're faking reality. As the hippie said, reality's for people who can't handle drugs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, I mean, I don't know whether a spider would... Uh would uh, you know, would miss a, miss miss a leg? I mean, you know, we've got we've got you know, it would probably get on fine with. Well, yeah, see, things we, just seven, yeah, just we, seven, we, yeah. If we've got central intelligence, so if we, our brain says, "Oh, you've still got a left hand," yeah. but does a spider have? central intelligence to run its legs or distributed. You see, a cockroach mm. has distributed intelligence. So a wind current comes towards the back legs, the back legs start running, and then later a signal is sent to the brain. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Bill Bailey's coming at me with a rolled-up newspaper. Just thought I'd like to know, please don't put my, our body in this uh, risk in the right, future. Yeah. So they have distributed intelligence. Oh, I see. I Wind. think I might have a bit of that, though. <laughs> I think I, I, I tend to start, you know, I think my legs... <laughs> pick up things before my brain does. Maybe that I've got a pump park you, you feel a bit of wind yeah. on the back of your legs and wind off you go. Wind on the back go. of my legs, I'm off. <laughs> the last time I was in this room was, in fact, to interview uh, Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. They oh, were yeah. in Australia previewing the upcoming His First Doctor Who oh, series. Yes, yes. You scored a Doctor Who role Christmas special. Mm. Are we talking 2011? Uh, yeah, I think it was 2012. Wow. I think it was, yeah. yeah. Of which I think I read you saying you felt as though, as happy as if you'd received a knighthood. Yeah, it is probably happier, I think, really, you know, to be to be in a sort of, a, a, you know, an all-body suit with a halo mask on, running around the woods in South Wales. <laughs> <laughs> as some kind of woodland marshal. Uh, it, was, it was a dream come true. Um, it was great fun, yeah. Of course, you know, the uh, I quite realised that the uh, the fandom, the level of fandom of Doctor Who there, you know, there was, um, you know, people camped out in the woods trying to catch a glimpse of the wow. uh, the new characters. Really? So we had to be, once we were filmed, we had to be uh, escorted from the wood behind screens so that no... <laughs> No fans would take a picture of us. How did you score the role? Did you did you make a, a gentle intimation to them? Did they come to you? Was there a dance between people's people? How there was happen? a little bit of a, a dance, a people's dance, and uh, yes, I think that's how it came about. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I made my you know my my. Um, um, sort of uh, very clear that I was a big fan so you know and had been since I was a kid since I clung to the sofa as the sea devils came out of the sea <laughs> you know so, so I think maybe that was it in fact when you, you did your show with the orchestra where mm. you did that famous uh, musical piece of you, you, you took the chords from the Doctor Who theme yes instead of imagine ah, if they yes. were French jazz yeah that's right because the actual theme of Doctor Who which is um, it's it's a it's 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 they are, they are jazz chords, and I reimagined it as a kind of Jacques Brel song, you know, and I translated it into French, which works quite well. Doctor Key, you know, so <laughs> it's kind of, it works quite well. <laughs> C'est lui, Docteur Key. Il voyage dans le TARDIS, la boîte de téléphone fantastique d'espace. L'intérieur est beaucoup plus grand que l'extérieur. 
Et ça, c'est le mystère du Dr. King. Le chef des Daleks, il s'appelle Davros. Il veut contrôler l'univers. Tout le monde, il veut contrôler. Il ne contrôle l'univers jamais. Avec les Daleks, le docteur est supérieur. Il rit. Je suis docteur qui... That was a great dream, playing the Doctor Who theme with an orchestra. Great. Your son, I remember, uh, Dax, he yeah. was saying, I, the, the interview I read was before, you'd just started filming, hadn't mm. taken him on set yet, but he was starting to just drop into conversation around the schoolyard. Yeah. By the way, my dad's going to be on Doctor Who. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He would say that. I think he said it every other sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done your geography homework? No, but my dad's in Doctor Who. Did you take him on set? Uh, no, 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 God, no, it was, it was, it was, it was strict security. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a big deal. I didn't really quite realise how big a deal it was. They transformed this set into some kind of Narnia, and it was covered in snow, and, um, you know, in South Wales, at that time of night. You haven't done Doctor Who, but you've starred on another great Australian television show oh, that I'm sure Bill would be very impressed by with his UK roots. This, this is... Up there, you know, sort oh, of yeah. Oscar level. I was in episode 4,550 of uh, Neighbours. Really? Yeah, where oh, wow. the other Dr. Carl and I meet. Oh, I see. You see, it was a wonderful existentialist. You're Dr. Carl, I'm Dr. Carl. Are either of us real? Is anything real? Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? It was sabotaged or just sort of shown as just a, some, a simple confusion. But honestly, the, the multi-layers went so much deeper. Wow. I, I must have missed that episode. That's the one in the parallel dimension that I've yet to see, which I will see. Obviously, my parallel self will see it at some point when I appear in the parallel episode of Doctor Who. I wonder if we'll ever be able to get to those parallel universes. I mean, oh. our children or children's children. I hope so. It's, it's, it's amazing to think what things are on the horizon if we can get through the climate change warming thing because mm. further down the line, I mean, you can see where we've gone in the last century. Einstein comes up with his theory of relativity and you use GPS to navigate your way to a pizza bar when mm. you're slightly inebriated. Yeah. Uh, who would have thought? Einstein would have thought that. I mean, the things that will come from today's random discoveries and our children will be able to do with them, it's astonishing. Yes. Uh -huh. And in 30 years you'll be able to navigate your way to a pizza bar in a car entirely inebriated because the car will be driving itself. Oh, yeah. Well, it won't be a car, will it? Perhaps it'll be just a construct of your own imagination. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't mind being driving in that. <laughs> a self-driving self <laughs> imagination self -driving construct. imagination construct to imaginary pizza. Never have to leave the house. It'd be great. Now, now, can I ask you about your show? Why did you call it Limbo? Because hmm. your show's called Limbo Land, right? Yeah. Now, according to this highly reputable questions from the Bible.org. Yes. Of course. Of course, yeah. Limbo means the edge of a hem on a skirt or mm. a zone between two different places. Then you go into the whole religious thing of. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Limbo Land? Yeah, that's right. No, well, the thing is, I, I mean, I. I I see the fact that there's, I'm open to a religious interpretation of this, you know, obviously mm. because limbo being sort of a state of transition, almost like a, you know, some, uh, some sort of area, a waiting room before one's allowed into paradise. That was the notion of limbo. Mm. And, uh, like and an Indonesian airport lounge yeah, with a copy of Stephen Hawking's is, yeah. <laughs> Brief History of Time while you're waiting to get on the, you're plane, to get on the plane to the afterlife. To the afterlife. And, yeah, you're not quite there yet. 
and uh, and I so so I suppose yes, I I I am aware that there could be a, a religious interpretation of that, and my intention was there's not in limbo land is merely a kind of a state of transition, perhaps a, a, a gap between our expectation of what life will be and the reality of it. So it just sort of it, it seems like a pleasing name as well. I quite like the sound of it, mm. you know. Um, it, it actually just when you said that it reminded me there's a there's a. Uh, an organisation in West London where I live called the Ethereus Society. Oh. And uh, they are um, a quasi-religious group where their sort of belief system is um, is a kind of a potpourri of uh, various things, Buddhist, uh, Judeo-Christian religion, bit of psychobabble, you know, the usual sort of thing. And um, their founder, George King, uh, was um, was uh, he had a vision in the 60s where... Um, he was doing the washing up in his bedsit, and a voice spoke to him and said, you have been chosen as the earthbound representative of an interplanetary parliament. Wow. Which is you know, one of the greatest uh, excuses for not doing the washing up thing I've ever, <laughs> I think I've ever heard. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to take the bins out? No, because I've got, I've got to do this um, thing <laughs> with the, the interplanetary parliament, parliament yeah. you know. And um, so... <laughs> But the, what what, the, what they have in I, I investigated them because their headquarters is in West London yeah. where I live and they have this wonderful uh, membership uh, scheme. There's two levels of membership and the the deluxe membership is you are if you pay a certain amount every month you are met in the afterlife and are escorted through to paradise, fast tracked if you will, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> past all these suckers who just haven't bothered to stump up the extra few quid a month. And which I think was just a very brilliant and specific thing to have. You know, you are met. You are going to be met in the afterlife, perhaps with a cold drink, a flannel, and then escorted to paradise. Uh, but the next level of membership is just a newsletter, <laughs> which, which I think is a bit of a, it's a big drop off. That's going from economy to first. That really is. There's no, no premium there's economy. No premium, no, no business, business, nothing. <laughs> Seems harsh. I saw a photo of you in London recently oh, yeah. uh, uh, doing um, what's become a new passion of yours that I didn't know of until I looked on your your Twitter account and saw your uh, at Bill Bailey, Jean Troll, Troubadour, Jacanapes, Dilettante, Teller of Tales. I knew you were most of those. Yes. I didn't know what a Jean Troll was. A Jean Troll is, um, is a, a Norwegian word and um, which was in a review I got from an Oslo gig I did recently and... Uh, and that was in the headline. It was like, Bill Bailey, Siam Troll. And uh, so I obviously had to know what this was. And it is a positive moniker. It's not a negative yeah, thing. Oh, you absolutely. know, it's not a kind of bad thing. You, know, you son of a Siam Troll. Yeah, exactly. Even though there's Troll in the name, I just thought that perhaps was a negative thing. But apparently not. It means a, a charming man, apparently. Oh, so that's kind of... Fantastic. Like, so char- charming, man, charming man, brackets in Norway. Yeah. Right. Troubadour. troubadour, jacanapes, dilettante. Yeah, troubadour is a travelling singer. Travelling entertainer, yeah. musician. Jacca- a jacanapes is a sort of someone who, is sort of you know traditionally a bit of a kind of uh, it's it's got a slightly simian um, uh, you know uh, undertones. Someone who's a bit hairy. Um, <laughs> well, you're bipedal and bipedal, a bit hairy. Hairy mon- japester. A hairy japester. A monkey, sort of like a like a like a almost a um, mischief. You know, like a sort of Loki esque. Good monkey heart. Mis- oh, good hearted Loki yeah. with hair. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Dilettante. Dilettante. Um, a, a dabbler. Yeah. You know, across many fields. Across many fields. Curious. Curious. Teller of tales. Teller yes. of tales. SUP enthusiast. SUP. SUP. Which I thought initially might have been an obscure English political party. Yes. You'd formed an Already a Scottish unionist, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. quite appropriate. I don't know. Stand up paddleboarding. Stand up no. paddleboarding. Yeah. 
You can, can, can you maintain balance on it? Yes, I can. Yeah, it's it's tricky, but it's good. You know, once you get it, oh, it's addictive, I'm telling you. Where did it come from? Uh, I think this came from, uh, well, people who weren't very good at surfing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it came from people... No, that seems a bit harsh. No, it came, it came from the surfing world. Yeah. And it was from... Um, it started many years ago, and, and it was a kind of guy who, who decided that he picked up a paddle, you know, like an oar from, mm. a, from a boat, and stood on his surfboard and paddled out to, to catch more waves. Mm. And the idea is that, you know, you, you paddling, you know, when you're surfing with your arms can be quite tiring, mm. quite exhausting, you have to be pretty fit. But if you use a paddle to get out there, you can catch more waves. So that was the theory. Now, of course, now it's an established thing in its own right. Yeah. Because I saw a picture of you on your Twitter account going under the Hammersmith Bridge. Yes. It didn't look like the sets were really pumping that day. The waves weren't big. No, no that's where, right. Where did you find out about SUP? SUP. I was in, uh, I, I was in Indonesia and uh, I saw some people just on a board with a paddle, long paddle. It's like a giant spoon. And uh, at first it does look like there's been a shipwreck recently and somebody's <laughs> <laughs> on a door. <laughs> And you, you've gone to get help. <laughs> I'll just, be back. He's just gone to get help. You've fashioned a rudimentary paddle out of a broom and <laughs> a couple of dinner plates. And you've, you've, you've taken the door off the bathroom. That's what it looked like. But actually, you know, now it's, it's become an establishing. And back home, you know, I get on the Thames and I have an inflatable paddleboard, which you just you pump up and you get on. And you, you, the Thames is extremely tidal. So it's a bit of a, it's like going on a, tre- a treadmill one way or the other. You yeah. know, you have to go downstream, upstream. But it's, uh, it's good fun. Yeah, I knew someone who rode in the Oxford-Cambridge boat race once and they said you don't realise, if you don't know the river, yeah. how ah. fast it, you can fly along that. And for a while they're, they're almost like downhill bomb, skiers just controlling their line. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because there's an enormous body of water comes in because, um, and in fact, the incoming tide is more powerful because you have the sort of the bottleneck of, uh, of the, the sea, basically, effectively, you know, being decanted up the Thames, which gets quite narrow as you get further up, and it's very powerful. Um, it's great. I mean, it's good fun when you get on the board. With the board. You have to, you know, you're barreling along. I've just got this image right. of you in the office with the foot pump out, like you're inflating a lilo while camping yeah. or something, getting ready to go out for a paddleboard. That's right. It's a fantastic thing. People do it. You, know, you deflate it a bit, you can sleep on it. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Twitter time. Yeah! Come on! Twitter! It's Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer, the uh, Sleek Geeks podcast, with the uh, talking with the redoubtable Bill Bailey. We asked our listeners to send us a couple of uh, questions oh. on uh, on Twitter that they'd like to ask. You. Okay. And um, I, the, the way I've reprinted them, uh, none of the people's names or Twitter handles have come out. So if you're listening and you think that sounds a lot like a question I asked, I think you can safely assume oh. it's yours, good listener, and thanks for it. Bill, there's a theremin yes. at the Backer Museum in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Could you do a tour constructed purely on visiting various theremins around the world? Uh, I guess I think you could, yeah. Actually, I mean, I think that's probably possible. I think it would um, maybe uh, be, be a lot more uh, widespread than you might think. I think theremins have spread out around, around the world hugely. I think they were immensely popular. Um, so and you've yeah. done your bit propagating. I've, I have done, yeah. In fact, I've brought, I've brought a brand new theremin to Australia with me for this <gasps> What? Tour. Yeah, it's it's no it's never been performed on used on the stage before. It's a it's the the mini version of the theremin. It's called the theremini. You know, there you go, and it's it's unusual because they found a way of quantizing the notes so that it 
in, with, a, with a, a traditional theremin, you move your hand closer to the aerial and you get a sort of steady increase mm. in pitch in a sort of glissando, like this. But with this new theremin, they've quantized the amount somehow so into notes, into chromatic discrete notes. Discrete notes. So discrete notes. So as you approach the area, it goes... Like this. So it becomes immensely more playable. I anticipate a huge... Um, increase in this upswing, upswing in, in theremins after this. What's it like breaking a new theremin in? Is it is it is it in mint condition, ready to go for it the is, moment yeah, you turn it on? It is. It's absolutely box fresh, and uh, um, I'm sort of trying it out for the very first time. So it's 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 hard because, you know, I'm trying out a new thing, but it's uh, it sounds great. If we want to see. Bill tying out the new theremin. It's the Limbo Land tour that he's in Australia for. Best just to search Limbo Land online and find the tickets. There's nothing else called Limbo Land out there. Except the people moment. who like to dance in an odd fashion. In October. Ah, this one seems to be shallow at first, but it has depths. This is okay. from Bowling Crony. If you could regrow hair by applying ground up, ground up barn owls, would you do it? I think they're saying if you could regrow your hair by Killing some endangered species? Would you do oh, it? Oh, really? Oh, that's a, this is a this is an I ethical think, issue. I know. Isn't it? it's, 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 deep. It's, it's basically it's ethics versus vanity, isn't it? Mm. And and you'd like to think ethics would win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely. Sure. I was shown a picture of herself with a big lustrous head of hair. And, hey, you see? Yeah, that's oh. how you'd look. And then, I don't know, and I didn't know the barn owls. I hadn't met them. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, for a little a while tricky. I was able to convince my daughter that the, when she was three years old that there was a previously undiscovered anatomical communication between one's skull in men as they grew older and mm. their ears and nostrils. And the hairs migrated through. And for a little while she believed me. That's right. <laughs> I'm, do you know what? I, I believe you. I'm, I'm willing <laughs> to believe you. <laughs> I would suggest, Bill, you have a certain lustrous hair. Yeah. It just... It's just moving around. Starts it's, a bit it's, further back. Yeah, We're making way for your advancing brains. I, 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 that's exactly as I would describe it to my own son. It's a, yeah, I have a kind of a, a, a rear-facing mullet, uh, <laughs> a skullet, in fact, is how I describe it. <laughs> uh, Dan asks. Dan Beasley asks. Um, Cost-benefit analysis, and this is for all of us. Expanding your mind with drugs and alcohol versus the damage it does to your body. Whoa. So it's another comparative. It's like the trade-off between oh, ethics. Oh, I see. Right, so the doors of perception yeah. uh, against, you know... Long-term cardiovascular long-term fitness. and cardiovascular fitness, yes, I see. Well, I, would, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, no, it's a no-brainer for me. I, you know, you'd have, to, you'd have to just try in moderation. You know? mm. I'd, I'd be willing to sort of sacrifice a little bit of lack of mobility for maybe a, a, a bit of persona, some kind of... Insight. Mm. Well, Paracelsus back in the 1500s or so said all drugs are poisons. Mm. What matters is the dose. And then the second factor to bring in is virtually every animal in the animal kingdom uses drugs. And in fact, for a while in California, the main user of solar cells, this is about 15 years ago, were the marijuana growers who were trying to stop the <laughs> local pigs from getting their mm. marijuana. So therefore they had to have solar cells to power up the batteries to power the electric fence to keep the pigs away. And right. we learned about our first antipsychotic drugs, Rawolfia, from the birds in India who would get unnaturally calm when they'd chew on the berry of this tree. Mm. So, fact number mm. two. Have you ever uh, married the, the, the opening, the doors of perception mm. with the obvious physical fitness benefits of stand-up paddleboarding? 
and if you maybe if you opened your doors of perception and went for a good paddleboard yes. against the tide in, in the Thames, you could maintain both your uh, higher consciousness and your sort of cardiovascular orbit. Yeah. I've never stand up paddleboarded, so I don't know if that'd be a no, good I, experience I, I or not. I've got to tell you that yeah, you do achieve some kind of a zen state of calm when you're, when you're on the paddleboard because you, you, you focus in, on your balance quite a lot and you're sort of aware of, you know, you're, you have a much more, uh, it's a visceral awareness of your surroundings than if you're in a kayak or a boat because it does, it, it appears that you're actually floating on water at some stage. Yeah, there's sort of slight, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a messiah complex you get when you... <laughs> You get on the, on so, the paddleboard. So doing that while tripping might be while a bit tripping, much? that'd be too much, okay. yeah. yeah. I think that would just be uh, yeah, overload. If we ever see you stand up paddleboarding down the Thames going, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. This, this is the day of judgment. You know that I've, okay. Okay. I've, uh, I've had too much, uh, I've been chewing too much cat. <laughs> um, one last question, if it's all right, Bill, because you are known as a naturalist and a lover of nature. We had a couple of questions, a naturalist and a lover of nature. Okay. Often the same thing. Yes. Um, a couple of questions on a similar uh, topic. Grant asked, what's the strangest animal you've had the pleasure of meeting? And someone else, I, was, I know I saw on your Twitter account, you said you haven't been kissed until you've been kissed by a lemur. Mm. And recently at London Zoo, you got a little peck on the cheek by Sid. Sid the lemur, yeah. Yeah, so animals and their beauty. Oh, well, um, I've got to say that um, when I was, uh, 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 I was making this documentary about Alfred Russell Wallace, mm. and uh, in the course of that, um, I got to, we were travelling in Borneo, and um, we were very lucky to see the Wallace's flying frog. And it's, a, it's basically a tree frog, but it has this enormously sort of uh, large um, webbed uh, feet and this big webbing between the toes, which allow it to sort of, glide yeah. between the trees and so it's in some sort of you know transitional evolutionary state and it's just, just an extraordinary thing and and I actually I had one in my hand and it it did it sort of took off and just you know glided through the through the air and landed on a leaf it was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen the lemur it was John Cleese John's whole lifelong love of conservation the films he's made and the work mm. he's done for the, the certain zoos he was at a zoo in 1954 at the age of you know twelve, and 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 saw a lemur, mm. and just said bang, that when his life changed, forever. Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful things. There's a kind of it, there was it did. It, 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 I, I was just you know I got to meet it at London Zoo, and then it turned around and licked me on the side of the head. Oh. <laughs> they have a big tongue. Yeah, it's quite a quite How big. How big was this lemur? L e m u r. Yeah. Creature with big eyes, biped. Yeah, that's right. It was, a, it was quite a long tongue. Okay, I don't maybe... Know what, there was something on the side of my head. I don't know what it was, but... It, was it, it, it rendered the lemur very calm afterwards. <laughs> so I presume that if we did get around to Di's tweet, what, which was, any chance you could join us for a drink after the show, your answer would be, possibly, but you can't lick the side of my face. Yeah, that's right, exactly. I can't be responsible for what happened. It has been, as always, uh, a pleasure, Bill. In Australia for the Limbo Land tour. Search for Limbo Land on any search engine is what I suggest you do. If anywhere around Australia you want to go and see the great Bill Bailey. Thanks a lot for your time, mate. Yeah, welcome. Cakes.